2: Week of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. A busy week in the world of minor league baseball. Uh, we got a lot to, to talk about, a lot to get to. Benjamin Hill joins the show coming up in a little bit um, to talk about a, a story that gained a whole lot of traction from last week's podcast. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays prospect Kevin Smith will join the show coming up in just a short time. The uh, As of the final 2018 rankings, the sixth ranked prospect in the Blue Jays system. Talk with Kevin Smith in a little bit. And uh, hello. He's Sam Dykstra in New York City. My name is Tyler Mon. Hello, Sam.
0: Hi, Tyler. How are you?
2: Uh, I'm fine. I just got a breaking news alert, though. NASA declares Mars Rover Opportunity dead. No! After 15 years on the red planet. Oh, oh. no. Dead.
0: That just made me so
2: sad. I know! I'm pretty sure I followed Opportunity on Twitter. I got to go... Remember... We- it posted, like, a farewell tweet.
0: That was one of those moments when we all felt like this was the future. Yeah, we are getting live yeah. updates from this thing on a whole yeah. other planet, that is sending updates to my phone. It is not like, you know, w- one of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13, and they just have those montages in that movie of everybody gathering around the television, or yeah. the, the families gathering around like the NASA device, trying to be like trying to hear into yeah. control and all that kind of stuff and just trying to eat up all the information. Now we just get it sent to us like instantly uh, or as instant as it can be. It takes a little bit of time for messages to travel from Mars to here. but like what that it, it amazes me how far we've come and, and that it makes me sadder than maybe you guys know listening at home that this Mars Rover ha, is, is no more.
2: It's dead. That's literally what the alert said. Rover dead after 15 years on Mars also what was that, that radio thing that every family in NASA had do you think they still have that or is it just like an online? You think they just log into something now?
0: It's probably much easier than it used to be. I thought it was so cool that they had this direct connection to mission control. Yeah. It was like, oh, you guys are special. Where do I get one Except of those?
2: Except in First Man, when they showed you that when things got super dicey on uh, one of Neil Armstrong's, I think it was Gemini flights, they just cut the feed so his wife would have no idea what was going on. It's yes. a little
0: shady. Yeah. And uh, as if that made things any better whatsoever, he's like, yeah, things are going pretty bad. You don't get to hear now. That's definitely going to make you calm down, which for anybody who saw that movie did not have that effect whatsoever. No.
2: No. Two more breaking news alerts, one from NBC News. They're really jumping on this dead thing. Breaking after 15 years on Mars, NASA's record-setting rover Opportunity is declared dead. New York Times says, quote, NASA's Opportunity rover is dead.
0: <laughs> as, as long as they don't say NASA's ah. Opportunity is dead.
2: <laughs> NASA's Opportunity is dead.
0: Um, so Actually, while we're, we're talking about space news, by the way, did I tell yeah. you about the newspaper I found in my uh, neighborhood?
2: I saw you posted it on Instagram. This is the coolest story ever. You have to you have to tell it.
0: It was so random. Like I was walking down the street and you know, I live in Brooklyn and at, it's around a lot of single family homes. Uh, my neighborhood is really nice that way. It's not apartment building on apartment building. It's a lot of single family homes. Luckily, the one I live in is divided into multiple units, so don't worry. I don't own a house like Tyler does. Um, but That being said, you know, people like clean out their homes, they're about to move and they just usually put stuff by the sidewalk. And it's pretty well known that it's free game if it's out there. Um, So this was just stacks of old stuff. And amongst the stacks, and luckily it wasn't raining that day, was a newspaper, the New York Times to be specific, about man landing on the moon.
2: The day after the moon landing. Yeah. It was that paper.
0: It was one of those like triple decker headlines that you, you always see in newsreels of like, this is history being made. Man walks on moon. Now I own that newspaper because I just took it and I did not look back. I thought about like, did they really mean to leave this out? This seems really in like really historical. This is something yeah. that should be framed. It should not be out just out and about uh i had to go grocery shopping after that and i probably looked weird because i was like holding it like a plate the whole time i didn't want to put it in my bag and ruffle the pages i didn't want
2: a late 1960s newspaper everybody's like what is this crazy person doing yeah
0: and i actually put it so the front page was on the underside so it wouldn't look like hey there's this dude walking around with a thing that says man walks on moon this crazy man who comes in We landed. the moon Uh, have you guys seen that that's what I should have done I should have pulled like one of those time travel scenarios you guys seen this
2: you seen this news this is crazy Uh,
0: what what day is it what day is it (laughs) sir it's 2019
2: it worked it
0: worked Um,
2: that would have been great if you just pretended to be a time traveler.
0: Oh, man. There's so no. many opportunities that I let go. But, uh, yeah, so that also, is that is now going to be framed, and I'm going to put it next to my door so it's like the last thing I see every day when I leave my apartment, um, just as a little reminder of what man is capable of.
2: Also, um, as to the snide shot at me for being a homeowner, we'll compare the property values between Brooklyn Brooklyn. And my neighborhood in uh, in Denver, where I barely speak the first language. Oh, yeah. We'll compare those on some other episode yeah. <laughs> of the show podcast. But today, it's all space news. This is an hour <laughs> of space discussion on this week's episode of the show. No, just kidding. Uh, we already told you what we got coming up. So let's get started. It's three strikes for this week's episode of the Minor League Baseball Podcast podcast. We will start with the story that is up on the site right now. We are recording it on Wednesday, uh, this week's episode of the show. And uh, Farm System Rankings, position players 10 through 1, uh, we already had 30 through 21 and 20 through 11, are Farm System Rankings, as the name would suggest, Uh, We rank each major league organization in terms of where they fit with various groups. So we have position players, we have pitchers, we have prospects under 21, we have all these things. And uh, we've got our final installment of the uh, position player rankings up on the site right now with the top 10 organizations in that category. Run through those 10 real quick. Number 10, Washington Nationals. Number 9, the Atlanta Braves. Number 8, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Number 7, the Minnesota Twins. Number 6, the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. Number 5, the Cincinnati Reds. Number 4, the Chicago White Sox. Number 3, the San Diego Padres, which leaves two teams above the Padres, the Toronto Blue Jays at number 2, and the Tampa Bay Rays at number 1. Sam, your thoughts?
0: Yeah, so this was kind of a, a fun one to put together because I think when we get to overall, overall is going to be so much easier to flush out, and I, I don't think anybody who's listened to the podcast or read MLB.com coverage before will be that shocked on how you know the the farm system rankings will shake out when we do overall. But breaking it down by position player is a little more interesting because it's just it, you really see the strengths of certain organizations and what they are good at right now and what they're you know, comparing them to when we come out with pitchers next week, uh, what they're not good at, or you know where their strengths and weaknesses are. So putting the Rays at number one, um, you know, doesn't feel like a shock if you know the Ray system at all because it is insanely deep. Uh, you know, Wander Franco last year became. You know, I think he's number 13 overall in MLB.com. There are a lot of places that are putting him in the top five overall prospects right now. The guy hasn't left the Appy League yet, um, but he was advanced enough to you know, skip all the complexes, Dominican, uh, Gulf Coast League, move straight to... Uh, you know the Appalachian League and tore it up absolutely became one of the most exciting prospects we have in the game uh, right now and it's it's not just him obviously Jesus Sanchez is an interesting outfielder Ronaldo Hernandez is an interesting catcher Vidal Brujan who uh, isn't a top 100 guy now but a lot of other places have him as top 100 guy had an incredible end to his 2018 season really going to be interested to see how he does Um, you know that's Those guys are in the mix kind of at the the middle levels, A, advanced double A, class A as well. Brandon Lau, Nathan Lowe, no relation to each other, but Brandon Lau put himself in the top 100 discussion with the way he climbed to the majors. Nate Lowe uh, did some really interesting things in climbing three levels as well. He's playing first base, so that kind of hurts his stock a little bit. But the guy hit 330 with 27 home runs. Nick Solak, Lucius Fox, both really interesting middle infielders at a time when Tampa Bay already is chock full of middle infielders. I mean, this team graduated uh, Adamas and Bowers last year. And those are two top 100 guys and now they've only gone up with the way guys have improved over the last year we haven't even mentioned brendan mckay yet who in the last week it's been announced by the rays that he will no longer play first base when he is going to hit he's going to do so only at dh they're going to kind of take the shohei otani with him which is interesting because you know mckay had some injury issues last year why even risk him getting injured in the field, even if he's only playing first base. Now, let him take his hack it's at GH. A lot of people think he's more of a pitcher than a hitter right now. We'll see how that works out. But he's still a pretty good hitter as things stand. So I'm going to be interested to see how he improves when he doesn't have to worry about the field. But this Rays system just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper, not just top 100 talent, but up and down the system, You know, starting at Durham, going all the way down to the Appalachian League. Uh, really, really cool... Uh, to see this team or this organization build up its, its uh, position player stock the way it has, um, you know they move in front of Toronto at number two because of that. I mean, Toronto has Vlad Jr. and Bo and you know that almost those two guys alone were going to get them in the top ten, maybe even the top five. Um, but they have a, a little more depth beyond that. It falls off pretty bad after Danny Jansen, I would say. Uh, well, no, there's, there's some other interesting names. Kevin Smith, like we're going to have on the show this week, uh, really made some interesting improvements last year. We'll talk to him about that later. Uh, Anthony Alford, former top 100 prospect. Uh, you know, Kevin Biggio was a breakout guy last year. So the Blue Jays, they're, they're more than just the top two guys, but the reason why they fall behind the Rays here is because the Rays are just so much deeper. Um, same thing with the Padres. Uh, uh, the Padres, are going to be spoiler alert a top three system i'm not going to say where in the top three uh, when we do overall but you'll know there we want you to read these stories so i'm going to tease that they'll be in the top three Um, but they're at number three here between the behind those other two organizations again just because of kind of depth yeah they're the big names that kind of shout out to you fernando tatis jr being the big one Luis Arias, francisco mejia being the other one The other two. And then, you know, some other interesting names, Josh Naylor, Hudson Potts, Austin Allen, Buddy Reed. Uh, And it is a fairly deep system. Um, but it's, it's much deeper on the pitching side than it is on the hitting side here. Uh, White Sox versus Reds, we had some interesting discussions with that. Kelsey Hennigan wrote this entire section for us, by the way. She did 30 through 21, uh, 20 through 11, and, and 10 through one. So read all three of those and, and know that it's her handiwork we're talking about here. Uh, White Sox versus Reds was an interesting discussion. Um, I think the top threes of those organizations really match up well with each other. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, And Nick Madrigal for the White Sox. uh, Nick Senzel, Taylor Trammell, and Jonathan in India, who we had on the show two weeks ago, top three for the Reds. Those match up pretty well. The White Sox just get a little bit more interesting, a little bit further down the line. Guys like Micah Adolfo, Blake Rutherford, uh, Luis Alexander Basave, Zach Collins, uh, just a little bit more interesting for me than the Reds, who have, like, Tyler Stevenson, Jose Siri, guys in that kind of level. Um, But, you know, it, it... this top 10 was really interesting and I think it's going to change as things go on. So don't think that every organization that's in the top 10 here is necessarily going to be in the top 10 when we do our overall rankings. Um, but you know, uh, kind of fun to start this train rolling a little bit. We'll have pitchers next week and then 21 in under talent, which Tyler, you'll be working on here in two weeks. So uh, this is just the start. It's a four week experience. Uh, four-week series we do every year more of this to come but yeah check out uh our first set of rankings that came out through kelsey hennigan this week
2: that is up on milb.com right now and that is strike one strike two maybe the biggest story uh out of the baseball slash football world this week and i am not talking about my profile of mike reno peoria chiefs groundskeeper who also worked at the super bowl although you can check that out on the site right now also uh kyler murray the heisman trophy winning quarterback of the oklahoma sooners is headed to the NFL. He is not headed to Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, as it seems right now. Uh, Kyler Murray made his decision this week and announced that he uh, will focus solely on football. After announcing a while ago that he would focus solely on baseball, um, this to me kind of feels like the Oakland A's are just getting jobbed. Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray will uh, return. I think $1.29 million of his $1.5 million signing bonus. Um, but basically, if you're the A's, you lost a first-round pick, you lost over a quarter of a million dollars, and you lost a guy who you felt like could be a major league contributor, and you got nothing to show for it. Um, your reaction to Kyler Murray, personally, I think from a, a standpoint for Kyler Murray that it is the right decision for him i think kyler murray is a guy who would have regretted not going the nfl route you win a heisman trophy and you decide to go the baseball route kyler murray very talented player i think he would have been a good a good baseball player professionally um but everything that he did last year why wouldn't you want to try to capitalize on that and See if you can make it as a quarterback in the NFL. Um, Now, all that being said, I think practically to take the money and with the the health concerns and and everything else, um, you know, maybe baseball is the more practical choice uh, in a lot of ways. But I think, you know, Kyler Murray has to make the decision of what's going to make him happiest and the thing that he's going to live with um, the best in his life. And I think it's probably the right decision in that regard. Uh, But from the, the A's standpoint and the baseball standpoint, this seems to throw up a lot of issues, and uh, I just want to get your your thoughts before we dive a little bit deeper into
0: that. Yeah, so one thing I just want to add as well, because it's not just $1.29 million that he's giving up. Um, he he already got $1.5 million. Uh, the A's gave him that immediately, but part of the whole bonus was actually about $4.6 million. He was right, due another right. $3 million uh, come March he's not going to get that whatsoever. So it, it might not be like handing it back to the A's, but he is essentially giving up around $4.5 million um, by choosing to go in the NFL. That being said, the NFL is going to give him money as well. Um, how much of that is guaranteed is going to be interesting because we know the NFL ha- has different contract situation uh, than Major League Baseball, at least. You know, Major League Baseball salaries are different, but bonuses are all guaranteed. So he's giving up $4.6 million, essentially, uh you know in guaranteed money right now that being said let me just read murray's statement because he touches on something that you mentioned there at the end tyler Moving forward, I am firmly and fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Football has been my love and passion my entire life. I was raised to play quarterback and I very much look forward to dedicating 100% of myself to being the best quarterback possible and winning NFL championships. I have started an extensive training program to further prepare myself for upcoming NFL workouts and interviews. I eagerly await the opportunity to continue to prove to NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback in this draft. Now. The thing that is important for me is him saying football has been my love and passion my entire life. What that means to Kyler Murray is he is gifted enough, and God bless him for it, that he is good enough to be drafted potentially in the first round of two different sports. Not really his problem. He was not the one who went to the A's and said, listen, you take me very early and I will guarantee you that I want to play baseball. He actually went to – people and said listen i want to play football this fall that's something you should all know that's something i'm going to do uh draft me appropriately you know if you you really like me enough take me high the a's took him in with the ninth overall pick knowing that was the risk so as much as i want to say the a's got a little job by this and i and there were some reports that they didn't know this was coming exactly they hadn't gotten a phone call from kyler murray until uh you know, after he put up this tweet that that's not great. That's not a great sign, but you know, Kyler Murray has two options at at his disposal. Go do the thing you love. If quarterback is what you love to do. Yeah. Go do it. Go do the thing. Uh, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you baseball is gonna be waiting for him because yes, the A's still retain his rights. He's gonna be put on the restricted list. He, the, he could come back to the A's and, and say like, listen, football didn't work out. Let me try this baseball thing. That's going to be extremely difficult. Not hitting a, a baseball for years at a time is really difficult to come back and do. We've seen Tim oh, yes, he's climbed the ladder in the Mets system. Guy hasn't set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, to to kind of take out your prime and just assume you could come back and perform like the ninth overall pick in the draft is going to be really really tough so to say that baseball is always going to be waiting for kyler murray is not accurate uh he is choosing football because that is what he wants to do that is you know you go off and win the heisman you're going to have a lot of people in your ear that say you should do this thing and also hey the game is more fun when you were the best to do it in your specific sport during an entire season. Um, so yes, I would love to see what he would do on a baseball field. His plus plus speed is is amazing to watch wherever he shows it off. Uh, would love to see what he could do in center field. Uh, would love to just see what kind of arm he could develop when he's only focusing on baseball. It's not going to be the case. Uh, would have loved to see what who, who the A's would have taken instead, how interesting this system could have been if we're talking about somebody else taken early in the draft, um, You know, putting them in the mix with Jesus Luzardo and A.J. Puck and Sean Murphy. Instead, that's kind of a hole. It's much easier to, to kind of shrug that off, I think, in baseball than it would be other sports. Shrug off a first-round pick. How many first-round picks do we see not work out and it's not – extremely detrimental to a farm system Um, it's unfortunate for sure for a for the a's and for baseball and uh you know i wonder if this is going to have the commissioner's office rethinking how contracts need to work to to get talented individuals in the game and keep them in the game knowing that they are going to be playing minor league baseball for two three years before they can actually touch you know the show as we call it um as opposed to the nfl which You know, he's going to declare the draft. He's going to be playing on Sundays immediately. He's going to be in the big stadiums immediately. Even if he's second string and and kind of being brought along, at least he's in the stadium. At least he's part of the meetings. Um, So does that make people rethink developmental paths for two-sport athletes like this, the promises they are given? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Uh, I don't know enough about college football to say, like, there is a guy on the horizon who's like this. It seems – you know, so outside the realm of possibility, there's a reason why when we talk about comps for Kyler Murray and his decision, we go back to like Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, just because what it, Drew Henson maybe is the last one we have something like this, but Drew Henson didn't win a Heisman. Uh, so yeah, this is kind of a really pivotal moment in both sports to see Murray choose football. I don't. Read too much into it as being a huge thing about what football provides for him just because I do think he loves the sport more and I, I'll take him at, at his word about that um but you know the, it's gonna cause a little bit more critical thinking I think in both the commissioner's office and front offices about what to do with guys like this going forward uh are you willing to waste a or risk a top 10 pick on that and should they be willing to get major league contracts right away and get put on the 40-man earlier, um, you know, maybe fiddle with the draft rules a little bit? We'll have to keep a close eye on that, but at least this chapter of that discussion is closed.
2: I feel like there's one A's fan out there who immediately went out and made a Kyler Murray custom jersey and spent like $250 on it, and it's saddled with that now, and it's kind of funny to me.
0: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I, I also guy. love those jerseys that like don't make sense years later, <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, you're the guy who did that. That's pretty cool." You know, you got to wait like five, ten years, um, because you're yeah. gonna be roasted for the first five. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you just keep get it in the back a little while. Closet.
2: Yeah, that's true. That is true. Strike three this week, spring training getting started across the world of baseball. Pitchers and catchers reporting on the major league side this week in Florida and Arizona. Um, Sam, going into this year, prospect-wise, who needs the biggest spring to get 2019 kicked off on the right foot?
0: Yeah, for me, I I don't even know if it's biggest spring. And I know I wrote this question to you, Tyler, but (laughs) immediately after, like – Writing it down, the, the name that came to mind, it, was, it wasn't so much like big, it was just healthy, is yeah. Alex Reyes. Yeah. Um, And I say that because he had a great quote today, and this comes from MLB.com's Jennifer Langosh, who used to be the Cardinals reporter. She's going to be transitioning to a new role. MLB.com is hiring a new Cardinals writer. If you're interested, I – please apply that it would be a lot of fun to see what somebody could do in that role. That team's going to be a lot of fun to follow this year. Uh, but this again from land at Langosh MLB is her handle. Uh, talking about how Alex Reyes passed his physical this morning. He's going to start throwing a bullpen session today. Uh, It's really cool for him. Somebody who's gone through Tommy John surgery the last couple of years, missed a lot of time last year just as he was coming back because of a torn lat, Uh, didn't pitch after June, really unfortunate situation. Uh, So talking to him, he said, I'd like to get off those prospect lists as soon as possible, Uh, which is hilarious to me because Alex Reyes is only on a on prospect lists because he hasn't gotten one more out in major league baseball. Yeah. If he got one more out, literally pitched a third of an inning more, he would not be considered a prospect anymore. So like we shouldn't even really be talking about him anymore, but we still are because of the injuries and because, you know, he didn't quite get enough done yet at the major league level. But we saw it last year when he came back from Tommy john he, he tore up the minors. He had no right to be a minor league pitcher anymore. Uh, you know, making four starts for four different minor league teams. The guy struck out 44 batters in 23 innings. It was electric stuff. Like the stuff has always been there. And, you know, I just want to see him get to the end of the spring. I want the Cardinals to have to make a decision on him in one direction or another, hopefully as a starter, because I really like his stuff as a starter. Um, But just to say like, hey, we want to get the most out of you. Uh, Let's get you healthy. Let's get you more major league time. Not just so we don't have to talk about him anymore as a prospect because his stuff is really that good. I mean, his fastball is right up there with almost any prospect you can think of. His curveball is really good. He's got an above average changeup. He's going to make guys guess no matter what. He just needs to be on the mound. And, you know, if he's starting his bullpen sessions now, if he's starting to get geared up, if he's fully healthy passing his physicals, that's a huge sign. Uh, I'll be really following him. I I don't know if he's going to be pitching in great great fruit league games, at least like on a normal schedule, as we would kind of hope for somebody of his potential. Um, but if there's a prospect I want to have a big spring, and by big I mean just a spring that exists in which he is throwing every day and pe- performing like a normal pitcher, uh, it's Alex Reyes. Because I think you know adding him, it, adding a healthy version of him even, uh, is almost like a trade for the Cardinals at a time when the NL Central – I think it's going to be wide open. It's going to be a lot of fun in the NL Central this year. Uh, Adding Reyes to that Cardinals mix would be huge. Um, So we'll we'll be following him closely for now. Uh, But the fact that he's following prospect lists and knows he's still considered a prospect at age 24 when he's had so much Major League time as it is, is, is really cool and is really honest and really refreshing. And I love that kind of stuff.
2: One quick foul ball this week. Tampa Bay Rays announced that Brendan McKay, their two-way stud prospect, will not be playing the field in 2019. Just your quick thoughts on that. He's going to pitch and he's going to hit.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit before uh, touched on this when the Rays were at the top spot. Um You know, he pushes them to the top spot of position players uh, for prospects, or he he certainly helps with their depth. Uh, A lot of people you're going to talk to now, a lot of evaluators think he could actually climb very quickly as a pitcher. Uh, It's the hitting that's going to hold him back. Um, But, you know, as I said, letting him exclusively focus on hitting when he is going – to be in the lineup and not have to worry about going back out there and fielding. Uh, it, it's also just a time issue. If he, if he doesn't have to pack a first baseman's glove anymore, doesn't have to take infield, that's more time. He can work on honing his craft in the box and potentially becoming a two way star, like Shohei Otani. Uh, it's a good half measure. I would say it, it's a measure that the rays need to make. If they are really committed to keeping him as a two way player, uh, wouldn't be surprised if they just abandon this about halfway through the year. If he's, you know, putting up a, uh, 2.1 ERA in the FSL, but only hitting 2.25, something like that, and they just said, "All right, to heck with it. We're only going to let you pitch." Kind of like what the Reds did with Hunter Green a couple of years back. Yes, he could have potentially made it as a shortstop, but he is so good as a pitcher, might as well just let him go that one route. Um, they're giving him a further chance in letting him have the two ways up. Uh, there are the two lanes open, but. Uh, I think this is kind of the, the start to the fall of Brendan McKay as a hitter.
2: One of the loaded systems in baseball provides our guest for this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. Kevin Smith from the Toronto Blue Jays joins us from Dunedin, Florida next. Already in attendance in the Grapefruit League in Dunedin, Florida, the sixth-ranked prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization is our guest on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Kevin Smith joins us already down in uh, in Florida. You're a Troy, New York native. You went to college at the University of Maryland in February. Do you just try to get down to Florida as quickly as possible?
3: Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> thanks uh, for joining us. I was up in Florida. Up in New York, it's a little cold right now. So I try to get down here as early as I can just to be with the guys and uh, be able to get outside and train a little better.
2: Well, tell us about these first uh, few days. You told us uh, just before we started recording, you got there last week, and there's nothing quote-unquote formal right now. Um, Pitchers and catchers on the major league side reporting this week, um, and you guys won't get fully going on the minor league side until later on in the month and on into March. So right now, take us through a, a given day for you when you get to the complex, what you do with the guys, and what your day looks like.
3: Yeah, it's really just kind of feeling it out, um, getting on the field a little bit before everyone kind of comes in and uh, meeting some of the new guys that are down here. So we'll just we'll get in at about 8, 8.30, and we'll have some breakfast and hang out with the guys, and then uh, we'll stretch around 10, and um, we'll get out on the field, take some ground balls, throw a little bit, probably go in the cage hit. Sometimes we'll hit on the field, um, and then we'll pretty much wrap it up after that. We'll have some lifts, and... And some stuff in the afternoon and then we'll get out of there and, and get back home and hang out for the rest of the day how
2: long do you feel like it takes to get acclimated to the full day workload I mean over the off season especially as a, a northern U.S. guy you're kind of limited in what you can do uh, if you're back home in New York but you know when you get into to full camp days you're pretty much there first thing in the morning and you're you're working out and you're playing games in the afternoon doing all that stuff when do you really feel like all right I think I'm fully ready to go for this
3: yeah it definitely takes a little while I mean, even in season you're not really working out all day you know you will show up to the park or around noon or one and um you know you'll get ready but you're not really working all day so it's it's an adjustment but you know it's more so just being locked in for the whole day you know you're not doing too much genuine activity the whole day it's kind of bursts here and there and then we got meetings and and hitting, hitting meetings and stuff like that so um, you know, it takes a little getting used to, um, but it's not a big deal. I mean, usually guys, after the first few days, kind of get it a good.
0: And when you are doing your work now, specifically in the cage, uh, I know last offseason was kind of a big one for you because you were going into your first full season and you kind of worked a lot on your swing in that offseason. So where you are now and kind of ramping up for 2019, uh, what are you working on in the cage and and specifically with your swing? I mean, what has been kind of the points of emphasis this offseason and uh, going into spring
3: training? Yeah, I mean, I think I liked where I got it last year. So, really, it's just staying consistent with it, making sure, um, you know, I can find some drills and, and fine-tune some things that I can carry throughout the season where if I'm not feeling as great or I'm I'm not where I want to be, I can go back to one or two things and really work on them. So, um, nothing really huge. I mean, I'm just trying to get better at these little things that I think I can improve on to make my season this year even better. But it's nothing nothing too big no overhauls or anything so it's mainly just trying to stay consistent so I can have you know put together a good a full season um and really be where I want to be week in and week out
0: Hmm. yeah and and just to go back to that work you did last offseason uh obviously it paid off pretty well you you hit 355 and 46 games last year with Lansing to start the year uh what were those revamps that you did and how quickly did it obviously the the stats speak on the page but how long did it feel like it took to click those in, you know, once you did make some of those changes?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still a work in progress. I think I'm still working on some of the things that I was talking about last year. Um, you know, this year, I just want to be more consistent with them. I think when I got up to Dunedin, you know, they kind of went you know in and out and I didn't really have my best summer that I wanted to. when I, once I got called up, but um, I think that's kind of the process and the journey is trying to figure out how to be consistent with it. And, you know, some stuff still feels a little weird, but, I think the more that I do it and the more that I get some drills down that I can really work on day in and day out and and I can be more consistent with my routine and, you know, going into the spring into the season where you can get more consistent with that type of stuff. And you're at, you're at the cage in the ballpark every day with your coaches. um, I think it'll just get easier and easier.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned your time at Dunedin. Um, You know, you hit 274 with a 799 OPS, 18 homers in 83 games, which I know is not easy to do in the FSL. Um, But you mentioned, you know, feeling some bumps there and, and trying to get used to that atmosphere. Uh, you know, what did you take away from your time in the FSL? What, what did you learn about yourself, uh, that you didn't know through the, you know, the first quarter of the season during your time with Lansing?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it was more of just the grind of playing every day. Um, you know, going to college and playing four games a week, is different when you got to play six or seven. And, you know, we had some injuries last year and, um, you know, had some small numbers in the lower levels. So I was playing almost every game. Um, and it kind of taught me, you know, how to get into a routine and get my work in but not, you know, work so hard that you can't play it now or that you're getting sore day in and day out. So um, that kind of really was something that I was trying to focus on. I mean, I've always been a guy to, to hit extra, take extra ground balls and get as much working as I can. And, you know, that's great in the offseason, and, and I continue to do that. But then once the season comes around, it's more about maintaining stuff and, and keeping your body healthy. So if anything, I think the biggest thing that I learned and a lot of the new guys learn is you know, how to take care of your body and how to be ready to go and play every day because it's a lot different than what we're used to.
2: Kevin what is the biggest key to that over the course of a season we've heard especially so much in recent years teams have started to hire you know nutritionists and chefs for their minor league affiliates and things like that because for for a long time you know minor leaguers you get into the the grind of a season you start eating a little less healthy or you're you know on a road trip and you can only grab fast food or whatever it is to stay um, in shape you're going to get worn down over the course of 140 games regardless but to, to try to be your best self in August and September what are the keys to this? that over the course of a season
3: yeah it's definitely tough and i think everyone's still learning how to do that i mean everyone's trying to get that edge and see how they can keep us healthy and And i know players are looking into it too and talking to each other and what works and what doesn't so i think that's a big thing i mean especially like you said going into august and september how to you know almost be at your best and i know we have tons of nutritionists and, and strength coaches here and high performance people that help us whether it's mindset whether it's getting some sleep getting some nutrition what we should be doing in the gym what we should be doing you know in our pre-work or what we should be doing post to recover um they're kind of taking in all assets so it's really individualized i mean it's more so what you feel and and what gets your body ready because what i do is kind of different from any other teammate and I know it's the same for them. If they did what I did, it wouldn't work. So I think it's really just going through the grind of a few seasons and figuring out what makes your body feel good, what makes your body feel not so good, and and really putting all it together to kind of make a plan as you go throughout the season so that you can kind of follow it and you don't have to be changing things every week or every month.
2: Getting a, a chance to play in the Florida State League, the FSL is is different from pretty much any other full season minor league in that it's kind of a complex league while being at an advanced level in the minors, and it's it's not officially that, but um you're playing you know at your team's home Grapefruit League facility and being around personnel from your organization that other guys at the Class A advanced level in the Carolina League and the California League don't get that. Um, what does that provide in the Florida State League to be around you know whether it's training staff or Or coaches, rovers, whoever's there, um, who maybe you wouldn't see in another setting along the minor league ladder. How much of an asset is that when you climb up and you get to a place like Dunedin and you have some of those resources?
3: Yeah, it's definitely different. It was really cool. I mean, especially going around and playing at big league spring training fields, and you know, you get the nice facilities and you get the nice, you know, the fields, and it really helps you kind of stay locked in and get your work in, Um, especially. Uh, It was cool, yeah, especially having, you know, front office guys in and and hitting coordinators in, fielding coordinators, kind of getting some extra time, whether they're down there for meetings, they're just stopping through. So um, you try to take advantage of it as much as you can. Um, uh, But, you know, as you know, in in the Florida State League, the weather's kind of brutal too, so you kind of give and take with that. But, uh, no, it's fun. It was was cool to kind of have those facilities and have those resources, and you try to take advantage of them as much as you could.
0: And one thing that's really interesting to me, not only about your time in the FSL, but your time you know, in general last year, your first full season, you hit 25 home runs, which is not really typical for a minor league shortstop, uh, especially one playing his first full season. But not only that, you had 28 extra bases with Dunedin, 18 of which went over the fence. Uh, how are you able to develop your power in your first full season? And, you know, what, what do you think kind of led to so many of the balls that you were hitting and driving, you know, hard? were we're traveling for home runs last year.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't really do anything specific for power. I mean, I want to hit the ball hard. I want to swing hard. I want to get good pitch to hit, but um, I think just a few tweaks that I made with my swing and let my body kind of work a little better, um, you know, staying in the ground, letting my barrel kind of have a better direction through the ball, it kind of let me hit some balls more flush and that's kind of what I was going for is, you know, catching more barrels, hitting balls more solid. And, you know, and when you do that and you pick your pitch to hit, good things tend to happen. So it wasn't really necessarily, hey, I want to hit homers. Um, it was more so just trying to get good pitches to hit. And then, you know, kind of trusting my preparation in the cage and, and trying to hit balls, you know, flush and, and get barrels on balls to, you know, whatever part of the field I could.
0: Yeah. And when you're talking about swing path and and things of that nature, I mean, the game has changed so much in terms of ways that is measured and way that ways that those are looked at. Uh, What are you using to kind of other than just how the ball feels coming off your bat? What piece of technology, what uh, analysis are you using to to make sure that you are, you know, as almost economical as you can be in the box uh, as a pro so far?
3: Yeah, I mean I've used a lot in the past. Uh, this off season, I didn't use too much stuff. We used Soto a little bit down in Texas when I went down and hit with Matty Young for about a week, um, and that kind of just gives you um, information on when the ball comes off your bat, so, you know, launch angle, exit velo, kind of spin, spin rate, you know, what your spin axis is, so it really gave you a feel for how you're hitting the ball, you know, coming off your bat, and then you can kind of compare that to what the swing feels like or we would take video and kind of compare it, seeing what your swing looked like versus what actually happened to the ball. And you can kind of get an idea for how your bat's coming through and how you're connecting with it and how flush you're hitting it. Um, but I know there's a ton of stuff out there. I think in the next few years, there's going to be a lot more tech coming into baseball, whether it's the Rap Soto, the Hit Tracks. Um, you know, Diamond Kinetics has a lot of stuff. Um, there's depth sensors out there now. So there's a lot of bat sensors and, and stuff that you can get, you know, exit velo and, and launch angle and spin rates and stuff like that. So. Hopefully in the next few years I'll be using more of that stuff. Um, I think it kind of gets a, a bad rap. I mean, in the baseball world, it's just kind of getting data on stuff that we already talk about, you know, hitting the ball flush, in line drives, getting backspin to gaps. So it's just taking those kind of words and putting data behind it. So it'll be kind of cool to see in the next few years how, how teams, you know, choose to use it and if it catches on or if we just keep, keep going by feel. Hmm. and
0: speaking of getting feedback uh you are going to be working out of one of i think the more interesting uh camps at least in terms of the minor league side and prospects and all that kind of stuff uh this year with toronto uh you know, getting to work around infields with Vlad jr and bo bichette if if they come back to the minor league side uh you know danny jansen lots of really interesting hitters in, in that system how much when you all are all together like this and you haven't broken off into affiliates yet, how much are you watching those guys? And is there anybody in that system that you've car- kind of taken something from or in- integrated into your own game? I mean, how much are you watching your fellow Jays prospects uh, these couple weeks in the spring?
3: Yeah, I think all the time, you know, I try to take as much as I can from everybody. Uh, I know last year I talked to Bo a lot. We were, we were both that short for majority of instructs. So we would, you know, talk about routines and what he tries to feel in the swing, and and why he does this and that with his tee work, and and what he's trying to feel in BP and stuff like that. Which you know is always awesome to talk about. And I mean, Vladdy's just Vladdy. He goes out there and gets knocks no matter what. So it's always fun to to watch what he does and and kind of compare yourself to how he's hitting the ball. Um, but you know, I talked to Roddy Telez a lot. We kind of have a similar swing, and and we have similar feels and cues. So um, you know, we talk about this and that here and there. He'll be on the big league side, of course, but. Yeah, no, I try to I try to pick, you know, anyone's brain that I can. I mean, I talked to Cap Viggio a little bit, you know, I talked to, to Forrest Wall and uh, you know, Logan Warmouth. We kinda, you know, have some talks. So really anyone that's kinda around the infield and we have some downtime or we're shagging, you know, we're always talking about something, whether it's defense, whether it's, you know, hit in the swing, um, whatever we can just to see, you know, if something will click for us that then maybe someone else can give us a little hint at
2: Kevin, let's go back a little ways and talk about uh, your time at Maryland and specifically your uh, your summer of 2016. You already had a, a very good college career underway, and then you go to the Cape Cod League in the summer of 2016, and that's where it seems like you really went from being a, a prospect that people knew about to a prospect people were very interested in, um, and it culminates in being a fourth-round pick a year later. And when you're down in the Cape, uh, D1Baseball.com, summer breakout prospect, uh, you were one of the top prospects in that league listed by them and Perfect Game and BA, and um, you're – infield work got rave reviews you named to the the championship series mvp when you win a title with the arm red Sox, and to be not only uh able to look back on that now as an experience that everybody wants in their baseball career to be able to go to the cape and have success but to look at the level of success that you had what what do you think enabled that it's not an easy thing to go to the cape it's a wood bat league and you're playing against some of the best prospects in college baseball what made you so successful there when you look back on it now a few years later
3: well, I was just excited to go there, man. I mean, I've known about the Cape for a while. I'm coming from upstate New York, you got guys that go down there and you know, guys will vacation down there and watch games. So, you know, stories always kinda come back to, to New York about the Cape League and, you know, the guys that get to go there and so my sophomore year when I was told I was gonna go there, you know, I kinda talked to Coach Chef and I was like, I'm not I'm not gonna use this as a vacation, I'm gonna go there and work and you know, that's really what I did. I mean I worked, you know, two a days every day and I'd go hit in the morning by myself or with some teammates with some coaches. Um, you know, get some ground balls, go back, eat lunch, and then, you know, go back to the park for the game. So I really tried to just use it as much to my advantage as I could, being there, playing the best in, in the country. And being from upstate New York, we don't get, you know, much limelight like that. We don't get to play the best all the time and we gotta travel here and there just to get some good competition. So, you know, going to Maryland and getting some of that and then going to the Cape League and really playing against the best pitchers in the country day in and day out. Um, I really wanted to use it to kind of get better so you know I studied the swing I made a lot of changes there Um, you know worked hard in the field and really just tried to put myself out there as much as I could against the best in the country and um, you know it was a lot of fun we had a great team I learned a lot from the guys that I played with and you know it was really like a brotherhood or sorry brotherhood I really you know talked to those guys almost every week still so you know just the experience in general is something that You know, it was kind of a dream, and it was a lot of fun to be out there and then go to the field every day and learn from all the guys around me.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, being from upstate New York, and there's one question I always like to ask people because I grew up – well, I went to college with a buddy who was from Schenectady uh, right next to Troy. You went to Columbia High School in East Greenbush. Uh, What team were you a fan of growing up? Because that's kind of like an interesting – area in terms of where people find their fandom. Obviously you're in New York State, but you mentioned people vacation out on the Cape. Boston's not that very yeah. far. Uh who was your team growing up?
3: Yeah, I mean girl, I mean I was a I was a Yankees fan just for Jeter pretty much. I mean Jeter was my guy. Um he still is just the way that he acted and his professionalism and and how he was respected around the game and, and kind of how he went went about his day-to-day business so i mean yankees were always my team my my neighborhood was pretty split between red sox and yankees we'd have some huge debates and i wouldn't talk to some of my friends for a few weeks at the (laughs) yankees it was uh it was definitely a a cool dynamic you know we would every time that we split up the football teams was yankees red sox and um you know football i don't really have a football team there's the bills and the patriots and then you got the Jets and the Giants in New York City. You got the, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Eagles, which aren't far either. So, you're right. It's a little bit weird for sports. I mean, there's not really one team that dominates, you know, the area. There's the Boston and the New York crowd. It's pretty split in between those two. So, um, it was really fun growing up, though. Yankees family, all those Red Sox fans around, and you know, some years it would be good, and some years it would be not so good. So, um, yeah, no, I was a Yankees fan growing up, mostly because of Jeter, but. Um that's kinda of, that kind of stuck with me.
0: Yeah, no, that's a pretty good excuse. And now you're getting to know the AL East hopefully a little bit more intimately being part of it with the with the Blue Jays. Uh, speaking of which, we'll end on this one. I put out a question on Twitter, you know, asking Blue Jays fans to send in their their tweets and, and things they wanted us to ask you, and we touched on some of those. But uh, one guy tweeted in at Raging Acid is his Twitter handle. Uh, ask him how it feels to be my favorite prospect. I'm not gonna ask Ask you to answer that question. However, he spelt favorite with a U, which is obviously a Canadianism, <laughs> it's a British a giveaway. For sure. Yeah, it's a giveaway. <laughs> the so, Queen's yeah. English. In your time in the Blue Jay system going on, you know, three seasons now, do you have a favorite Canadianism? Have you been tapped into the fan base enough to use some Canadian word that maybe your friends back in Maryland or upstate New York don't get yet?
3: Yeah, it's funny. I was up in Toronto about I think it was three weeks ago now, Um, but everyone would say cheers to us. You know, I'd say thanks. They'd say cheers. So that's one of the things that we keep we keep bringing down. And I've never heard that before. It's not really something that's said in New York. So when I went back to New York, I started saying it, and everyone's looking at me like, "What is he saying? Did he Did he he, 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 he hear what I said to him? You know? But that's definitely that's one of them that we picked up on. Um, But you know, I've been close to Canada, so we've had some people come down and. You know, so, you know, sound center, different with the R instead of the ER and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the U and, and some of the words are dead giveaways. But, uh, no, yeah, it's kind of surreal to have someone say that, you know, you're their their favorite prospect. It's not something that I ever really thought of doing. It's just, you know, how can I get towards my, my goal and my dream of playing the big league. So, um, thanks to that guy, though. I, I appreciate that a lot. And uh, hopefully I'll see him up in Toronto in one of these days and I can thank him.
2: And there you can purchase poutine and milk that comes in bags, which is what uh, we're always told about the weird things from Canada food-wise. So you have that to look forward to. Kevin Smith, the sixth-ranked prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization coming out of 2018. 2019 prospect rankings from MLB Pipeline, of course, coming up over the next several weeks. Uh, but off of his breakout season with Lansing and Dunedin last year and already back down in Dunedin getting set for this 2019 campaign. Kevin, congrats on all success so far, man, and uh, best of luck this year. We'll be watching wherever you find it, and uh, we'll, we'll try to do it again sometime. Thanks.
3: Yeah, appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me.
2: There's been a hearty level of discussion over a topic that we had uh, on the show last week. And Benjamin Hill joins us. We're going to dive in uh, a little bit more to it. Um, before we get to that topic, I want to make one correction. Um, I said last week, on we were talking about the Canapolis Intimidators, uh, r- possible renaming going into 2020. I said that Dale Earnhardt and his family had been members of the ownership group uh, for the Intimidators. That was inaccurate. And uh, Dale Earnhardt was a Canapolis native. That was the reason behind the naming of the canapolis team is the intimidators not the ownership so there you have it we cleared the air on that and with that we'll welcome but, ben. Uh, ben.
1: i have to sort of correct the correction ah correct the correction uh they changed the name of the intimidators because uh at the point that dale earnhardt senior bought a share in the team
2: Oh, okay. So it was a share, but it wasn't the majority ownership.
1: It was a majority, but okay. the, the so name change still... came in direct conjunction with Dale Earnhardt Sr. becoming uh, part of the ownership group. And one so... thing, I, one thing I w- just want to add, because
0: Joe Peters tweeted this to us at Joe Seventeen, and you know, in a very nice way to kind of bring this up. And I think what the point he was getting at was that the reason why there's such an uproar in the community is that he is a Kannapolis native. So they they claim him as
2: it wasn't just that, oh, this guy was part of the ownership group, he has no other connection to Kannapolis.
0: Right. He's one of their own. It's it's a really, truly local connection in that way. And that leads to uproar, not just like...
2: Not just he was part of the ownership group, which I made it sound last week as though he was the owner and they renamed the team because of that, which is not accurate. Part of the ownership group, uh, but that was not his only connection to Canapolis. Right. So we wanted to make sure that we got that out there. Um, So with that, uh, it it segues us very well in that many things can be true about the same thing at the same time, and uh, that'll lead us into our first topic on this week's episode, which is uh, we got a lot of discussion. There's been a lot of discussion on the tweets, which is always so muted and uh, intellectual um, about the Hartford Yard Goats' decision to no longer sell peanuts at Dunkin' Donuts Park in 2019 and beyond. Um. The uh. The reaction seems to just be the latest front in the culture war. Over. Uh, is this uh, an overreaction? Is this the coddling of society gone too far? On the one hand, and on the other hand, no, it can literally kill people. And maybe we should just, you know, try to be accommodating of all people with all uh, different. Uh, perhaps medical conditions or what have you um ben is working on a story this week that talks more about this plan we got a really good email into uh, podcast at milb.com um which i'll let ben dive into a little bit but ben you've probably been exposed more to this conversation um than the rest of us have uh just kind of give us your thoughts and especially going along with putting the story together
1: yeah i mean much like um you no, know, if you're allergic to peanuts, you're going to have a strong reaction, and uh, there's been a lot of strong reaction to this story. Um, yeah, I talked to uh, Tim Restall and Mike Abramson, the Yard Goats president and general manager, respectively, earlier in the week uh, to talk about, you know, more just directly why did you decide to do this, and uh, you know, it was a really interesting conversation with them. Um, and uh, Mike, the GM, you know, he went right into uh, points you were just hitting on, Tyler, that. Um, So much of the reaction, he said they, you know, they work with an outside PR firm to kind of monitor their, you know, their uh, impact in the media. And he said they had something like 54 million total impressions over a three day period, you know, across, you know, who knows how many forms of media because of this story. Um, Obviously, no one actually cares that much about a minor league baseball team's you know, food policy in and of itself, but it is like what this sets off. Um, Should we inconvenience the many to, um, you know, privilege a few, which is what a lot of people think. A lot of people look at it as a slippery slope. Oh, you're banning peanuts. Uh, What's next? You know, beer, because there are people that are alcoholics, you know, bread, because there are people such as myself with uh, celiac disease or uh, gluten issues, you know, it goes on and on. So it's become a really interesting debate. Uh, but what it comes down to with the Yard Goats, why they made their decision, and you know, at the end of the day, as with almost all minor league baseball decisions, is in a local way. Uh, they were actually uh, two women, sisters, uh, reached out to them. Uh, both uh, love going to Yard Goats games with their families. Uh, one woman named Erin, another uh, her sister Carrie. Uh, they both love going to uh, Yard Goats games with their families, and uh, both they each have a child uh, with allergies uh, and peanut allergies in particular. And so they just reached out to the yard goats and said, Hey, we love going to yard goats games, but what do you think you could do? Or would you be interested in doing something to make it more, uh, family friendly for people who, you know, whose children have allergies, you know, maybe a dedicated, uh, you know, allergen free section. And, uh, you know, some teams already do that. Uh, I think anyone who, is familiar with the world of minor league baseball knows that, uh, peanut free sections are sometimes a thing. Um, in addition to occasional peanut free nights on the calendar in which the whole stadium is, you know, power washed and wiped down beforehand, uh, because peanuts, uh, you know, are a particularly unique allergy because it can be airborne. And, uh, you know, you tie that in with people discarding shells everywhere. It is a much greater danger than, you know, someone like me with celiac disease, uh, you know, being exposed to gluten, it's totally different. I'm not going to get sick because there's like bread particles floating through the air right <laughs> so totally different thing and it's interesting because these women who approached um you know Carrie and Erin who approached the yard goats didn't say we want a peanut ban please ban peanuts and so they said they were blown away when the yard goats came back to them with the fact that they were going to do just that you know I think a lot of it or not a lot of it but some of it is that minor league mentality of how do we make a splash we're not going to make a splash by announcing a peanut. Nut-free section. We will make a splash by saying we're the first team in, uh, you know, in all the professional sports to ban peanuts entirely. Um, so they did get some publicity, but I think they also felt they're doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, Tim Restall, the president, was telling me, you know, and this is a new ballpark, Dunkin' Donuts Park. So there are many, many, con- as, as with any new stadium, there are many points of sale, many concession areas. And he said, look, we have over 200 items at the ballpark. We think people will be OK with these two less. Uh, But it is funny that those two peanuts and Cracker Jack are, you know, literally the most iconic uh, items. You know, if they eliminated just two random things like, oh, we no longer have uh, a certain item at our, you know, whatever taste of Philadelphia food card or at the Jamaican jerk stand, people be like, oh, okay, whatever. But when you have (laughs) something that is part and parcel with baseball, uh, that that really struck a chord. But, you know, one thing. And, and so much of it, I think at the end of the day, does come down to Take Me Out to the Ball Ballgame, uh, a 108-year-old song. And that's the point Tim was trying to make to me saying, you know, look at when that song was written, you know, the first Model T had just come off the assembly line. The first uh, passenger flight had just happened. You know, coffee filters were invented. So America has changed. It's okay <laughs> that, we, that we change along with it. And, um, and speaking with Aaron, Aaron Cha, one of the mothers, uh, you know, who advocated for the yard goats to, to be more allergen friendly. She said one of the same things. She's like, I love baseball. I love that song. But what it comes down to that song is about the joy you have in being at the ball game. It's not about right. these two specific items. And what I'm doing is, um, wanting to carry my love of baseball through to the next generation. And if, a team can do something that, that allows my child to enjoy it, to actually go to the game where we're not following them into the bathroom and wiping down the seats because there might be like, you know, stray peanut residue, like ev- literally everywhere. Um, I want that, and I want my ch- child to be as normal as possible. And I think so much of the negative reaction comes down to people who haven't experienced it themselves. Yeah. And you think, if wow, that was your wife, child, whatever, would you just be on social media or however you're communicating, just being like, essentially, like grow a pair, putting like, the no. team on blast? Yeah. No, you'd think, oh, I have direct experience with that, and I think a lot of it does come down to empathy. I think you can reasonably. Exactly. Ar- I think you can reasonably argue. You don't have to ban peanuts, but do make a peanut free section or something. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you want to go all out and ban them, you know, it's just like uh, Tim Restall was saying to me, you know, eat some peanuts before you leave or have them when you get home. You're going to a ballpark for what? Shotgun peanuts yeah. as you're yeah. walking yeah. through Fine. downtown Hartford. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to a ballpark peanuts. for three hours. We have 200 things on the menu. If that is the make or break aspect of you going to a ball game you know, so be it. But I don't think anyone is going to, to cut out baseball from their lives because of this. Although I do get, you know, the reaction.
0: Right. And there's one thing I want to just point out here um, that I think it get, kind of gets lost. And we talk about, about Peanuts and Cracker Jack being part of the history of the game. But one of the fascinating things about that song is it was written uh, 1908, as has been mentioned, you know, uh, over a century ago when we had the country was so different to begin with but the two guys who wrote it Albert Von Tilzer and Jack Norworth had never been to a never baseball game never
2: been to a baseball game they literally one of them saw a, a, a sandwich board sign advertising tickets for a game at the polo grounds while he was on the subway and thought oh, I'll write a song about that yeah. never had been to a baseball game
0: and, and this comes from the Library of Congress by the way this is not like some you know Random. We're not getting this from Wikipedia, although the Wikipedia page also has this. But <clears throat> it's under the did you know section. Cracker Jacks were an instant hit when introduced at the 19, or 1893 Chicago's World, World's Fair by a local popcorn company and were first sold at some ballparks in 1907. Once the product was inexplicably. So they don't even have a reason for why I was thrown in. It just sounded good lyrically. <laughs> inexplicably linked with baseball in Norworth's 1908 lyrics sales of the country concoction skyrocketed. So, yes, in in <laughs> century since, everybody funny. puts the two together. But there's nothing natural about Peanuts and Cracker Jacks being out of it. It's not cracker. as though, like, there's there's nothing Babe Ruth there.
2: one day was just like, you know what? We should throw together some caramel corn and some peanut. We'll call it Cracker Jack. It's Babe Ruth's favorite snack, and now it's a baseball thing. Like, didn't happen. No.
1: Yeah, you never know. I mean, he, they could have said, I don't know, buy me some peanuts and Necco wafers, and now everyone would be
3: yeah. really into <laughs> Necco
1: wafers. <laughs> I like Necco. And the, the Necco company
0: right now is very upset that that didn't happen and that they're not more popular. They are. Somebody yeah. sitting in a boardroom
2: at Necco, like, how do we make this happen? now? Yeah. Maybe yeah. they'll suggest it to the uh, – the yard Goats are, by the way, accepting suggestions for what to replace Peanuts and Cracker Jack with uh, in the uh, the singing of Take Me Out of the Ballgame, the seventh inning stretch. But um, I think, Ben, to me, I think you hit the nail on the head in that – I think the world could benefit from a little bit more compassion. And uh, I, I understand that we live in a, an age now where everybody wants to be angry about everything all the time. But I had a guy tweet at me and say, you know, this is PC culture, run amok, blah, blah, blah. And my response to him was, if you had a child who had a peanut allergy and could not go to a ball game and you saw a team like Hartford was doing something to make it accessible, wouldn't you think – oh, that's cool that a professional sports team is looking out for my kid. Like, wouldn't that be your first reaction? And I don't really understand because the how everybody wants to extrapolate it is the slippery slope argument of, like you said, well, now we have to ban bread. Now we have to ban alcohol because people are alcoholics. Now we have to ban sugar because we have obesity problems. But that's not the same argument. If you have an issue with, for example, uh bread, let's say, like Ben said. You can't just walk by a hot dog stand and inhale a a bread molecule and all of a sudden go into anaphylactic shock, which, I don't know if that's actually what it is, but that sounds like a sophisticated term to use. Um, So it's just I think if people want to climb down from being you know twitter tough guys and and yelling at their keyboards and just understand the fact that like it's really not affecting your enjoyment of the game that much uh and if it does add to something that other people can enjoy um, maybe that's a positive thing. Maybe it's just not something that we all have to scream about all the time.
1: right. and I think maybe to close this discussion because we start we mentioned this in the beginning, uh, we did get a good email from uh, Kevin. I want to say Delaria. That's what I would guess. yeah, right? we'll say delaria and Kevin um please correct us on the mispronunciation yes. of your name if applicable um, you know, who said loyal he does, friend of the show loyal right. friend of the show emailed this several times. Uh, you know who said uh, you know he has a peanut allergy and he deals with it, but nonetheless, you know, in this email he says, my first reaction was this was overkill. You know, a ball game is a different situation than being on an airplane when you have no open air and few options. And he said, you know, he found, find games to be a good real time opportunity to teach my kids who are also allergic how to scan the environment and make wise choices. So he said, well, I appreciated the Argos ER attention. It wasn't necessarily a big deal. And I, you know, I think that's an interesting nuanced perspective, you know, from someone who's dealing with it, but then he yeah. goes on to say, but then after reading the article on Facebook, I broke my cardinal rule of never read the comments and, you know, talking about how disappointed he is. And like, like we've said, in some of his reactions, you know, with like just don't eat them as if, you know, as if you would <laughs> yeah, right. just don't buy them, you know, as if the purchase itself <laughs> caused a reaction. And he says the sort of general just don't go to the ballpark attitude was really surprising. The reactions really made me rethink my position. And, uh, you know close with this then he said okay so maybe not every team i'm paraphrasing but you know not every team will ban them but he says here's something to think about um if you like enjoy peanuts don't toss your peanut shells on the floor below your seat this helps both the cleanup crew and the allergy sufferers um if you have peanut residue on your fingers do a quick wipe of your armrests or other places your hands went and uh a little consideration can go a long way he says quote and uh man why is this so interesting it's just about <laughs> peanuts it's just about peanuts in hartford but uh, i do think it just opens up a whole uh, whole can of worms but uh, kevin we thank you for the email and i'm sorry in the places i paraphrased there but really appreciate your view and i think it's a unique one
0: yeah and i think what makes this so interesting and you know we are going on this for a second week now but we have new information thanks to what you're working on for your story ben um is that this hasn't been done before you know usually in milb it's one team comes up with an idea it's use a promotion and then other teams take from it and put their own spin on it and that kind of thing. And that's always interesting, but this is something that's really hit a chord and it's not just promotion. It's, it's something done for not just the health of the game, but the health of fans in general. Um, and you know, w- since we haven't seen this done, it, it's now a time to sit around kind of as a Meyer Lee community and say, what are the real benefits here? What are the potential, um, you know, losses that could be incurred here. and that just kind of promotes this discussion. There are healthy parts of this and I think Kevin touches on a lot of this in this email. and I'm sure a lot of those healthy discussions are happening out there as well, not so much in comment sections, not so much in at replies, but um, you know there are nuances to this that we should be discussing and I think that's why you know this is almost a two-week story at this point, and that won't stop once the season happens and you know, Hartford's carrying
1: this into April and May and seeing some of the community reaction right, to that. Right, and this is our part two discussion out of 15. So yes, 15. right, yeah. It's
2: interesting stuff, um, and uh, if you want to join the discussion, um, just, I, I don't think it's too much to ask to educate yourself on the issue a little bit. Um, Ben's story, which will be up on the site this week, you can read, it gives you Hartford's perspective, um, and I think it's... You know, it's uh, it's turned into a a proxy conflict for things that people want to be angry about, which I think are somewhat needless. And, um, you know, as we discussed last week, the most important thing that comes out of this anyway, is that sunflower seeds are just a flat out better ballpark snack. So
0: Tyler is being paid by big sunflower seed. (laughs) Getting all that big
2: seed money. Yes. Um, Well, let's move along, uh, Ben. uh, There are new identities coming out, um, just singular identities. Last week we talked about the uh, the Portland Whoopie Pies. Bowling Green has a a new one coming out, which is kind of an interesting name.
1: Yeah, you know, last week we were just, bam, like just bam, bam, bam. Here's a crazy thing. Here's a crazy thing. Uh, Things slowed down a little bit this week, and I'm sure they'll pick back up real soon. But I think – you know, the, announce, the promo announcement of the week, as if this is a recurring segment, but I'll say the promo announcement of the week this week certainly goes to the Bowling Green Hot Rods who uh, pretty much since they began in 2008 have been at the forefront of alternative identities. They did the first ever What Could Have Been Night when they were the Bowling Green Cave Shrimp uh, way back when. Uh, I think 2009 was their first season actually. But anyway, to move to 2019, they will suit up on August 30th as the Bowling Green Sinkholes. And this is a reference. you you probably f- have forgotten this if you even came across it the first uh, in the first place, five years ago. Uh, but this might jog your memory. Five years ago, um the Corvette Museum, I believe it's the National Corvette Museum, or whatever it is called, which is in Bowling Green, had a sinkhole open up you know underneath the building, and several custom corvettes fell into the sinkhole.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: right. I that. So now the hot rods, and, and sinkholes are – I think they're more prevalent in uh, Bowling Green in general. It's not like there's just like happens to be one underneath the, uh, the Corvette Museum. That was the uh, end of days right. at
0: that point five years ago, Just slow decline ever since.
1: Right. But the sort of amazing – or just very anomalous uh, visual of a sinkhole opening up underneath the Corvette Museum, with classic cars falling into it, has inspired this promotion. So now the team August 30th is going to be the sinkholes and a really cool logo showing the top half of the underside of a car with the rest of it in a sinkhole, and uh, you know the how would you describe that the undercarriage of the car you know spells out bg in a certain it's, a it's certain so area. good
0: it's like so subtle and they didn't need to do that and there's also a baseball in there yeah. in the undercarriage uh they could have just had a car in a sinkhole and called it you know that's it that's that's all we're doing yeah but it, it's just so nuanced in, in ways yeah, it is pretty
1: great. and then and the jersey and the jerseys the jerseys, the jerseys so have dirt that come up essentially to the all the way to the upper chest um You know, have dirt coming all the way up there and then sinkholes just above. As if the the player is like
0: sitting in a sinkhole. And after Fresno's announcement about wearing red pants, they don't have the pants in this picture. We'll love to know those are going to be dirt covered
1: yeah if it's all if it's dirt all the way up to the uh, upper chest area for sure. that would be pretty good if they're not just have everybody
0: roll around in the infield dirt to make it look that way and it'll be fine but this is this is so much fun i really like this It, it
1: might be my favorite at least in the early going favorite new identity of 2019 you know of course we love talking about the food identities and those are always fun but we've seen a lot of them uh there'll be another year of copa copa de la diversion uh many more teams involved those are great but you know, we. We have a sense of what this is. So like anything else in minor league baseball, uh, what is new? You know, we talked about Altoona Curve going in a a new direction with the Yinzers um, one-time rebrand. You know, essentially a celebration of regional dialect. That's something new. And now we have something with the Hot Rods, you know, celebrating a really quirky event in their recent local history. And uh, that is new as well. So congrats to them for giving us something to talk about. That's the most important thing. And what this kind of
0: reminds me, you know, again, we like to kind of expand these out to the entire miners. It's just something that it's incredibly local, um, but still gathers national attention. It kind of reminds me, was it Syracuse a couple of years ago that had one that was based on a Light in town. What was that? That
1: was just last year. They had a larger um, salute to Central New York theme, and there's an upside down traffic light. That's what it was. Uh, in a nearby town. Not upside down, but where the red is where the green usually is, and the right. green is usually the red. They celebrated that. And that was supposed to be in an Irish par- part of town or something like. That it had well. some story about being related to, like the fight. Irish for identity. Uh, Irish identity. I, right. I don't remember. You know, the uh, Syracuse also did the. Um, the salute to uh, the Brannock device, the shoe measuring device, which was yeah. hilarious and awesome. Um, so always like to see teams go deep and obscure or weird or creative into their own local histories uh, beyond the realms of food um, and uh, see what they can come up with.
2: It's pretty good stuff. Ben, uh, what else is coming up to the site and the blog?
1: Uh, that's about it right now. I mean, I, uh, there's there will be a lot. Um, you know, maybe not the most exciting stuff, but when time is allowed, I've been going back and uh, – doing a year by year recap posts of each of my years of travel part of that's just for my own uh, you know my own knowledge so I can know just through the years where I was when and be able to like compare my material from year to year but if you like you know diving in deep to road trip stuff uh, you can you can check that out on the blog and uh, since it was a little slow on the promo release front this week I'm sure there's gonna be much more uh, where that came from and uh, it'll just keep on rolling
2: and we are getting set for uh, the, I believe it's middle of next month, the uh, 2019 Copa de la Diversion Identities will be rolled out, and there are a whole lot more teams that are going to be added to uh, to that initiative this year, which is really cool. Uh, Benjamin Hill you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And check out the story on the site at milb.com right now. And uh, you can get in touch with us, podcast at milb.com, uh, or you can tweet at us at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon, and uh, we will uh, continue the conversation. And, and try to, you know, not yell at each other. That's what we do on this podcast every week. We don't yell.
1: Yeah, we are, we're all about civil discussion, empathy, exactly. and just in general being better people than most. Yeah, <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. We try. Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you.
2: final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show again a big thanks to kevin smith from the toronto blue jays organization for joining us he is already down in the grapefruit league sam is headed down there soon when
0: do yes in less than a month
2: ah you have dates now
0: we both i have do have dates. dates now yes which is not a uh statement on my personal life it is a <laughs> statement on my spring training life same. thank you very much same um, uh, yeah, no, I will be down there, I believe, the 11th is okay. the first day I will actually be doing things. I'll be getting down there on the 10th, uh, but I will start coverage starting in Braves Camp in Orlando, Florida, which I will call it Orlando. All the date lines are Lake Buena Vista, which is a bunch of hogwash, personally, but that's my own vendetta. Uh, starting in Braves Camp, and I will be there through the 17th, ending up in Marlins Camp, on the Atlantic side of Florida uh, in Jupiter. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Something's still in flux about where exactly I'll be. I might still be fiddling with it a little bit, but I'll give you guys a heads up on what camp I'm going to. And if there's something you want to see from us, uh, I'm hoping to open it up spring training coverage a little bit this year so if there's some specific prospect you want to hear from or some batting practice you want to see some side session if somebody's throwing that day uh, we can try to make that happen so yeah uh, as we get closer to our trips to spring training we'll be open with you guys on where we're going and let us know what you want to see
2: absolutely and uh i'll be in arizona i believe the 17th to the 22nd i think is my uh my official dates there um so yeah same thing get in touch and if we can accommodate your requests we will before we get out of here once more we're gonna pour one out for the rover opportunity
0: and um it's a sad day can we just have like a like a five second moment of silence for, for opportunity. Let's, let's take a break. Which again moment. is the, is the Mars Rover. It's not the concept of opportunity.
2: Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, who's to say, who's yeah. to say anymore. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, just moment of respect.
0: I was gonna say, are you timing this for five <laughs> seconds? Cause I did not.
2: <laughs> Nothing sells the podcasts like dead air. Yeah. <laughs> <Like scooting. laughs> It's all, it's all the best stuff. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam Dykstra, MILB on Twitter for Sam. I'm at Tyler Mond, And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Okay,
0: picture this.